5 in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it news? Hello and a very warm welcome to Colourful Radio's weekly news review show. We call it 5 in the Eye as we take recent stories and put them under the microscope. In London, I'm Phil Woodford and you're listening to episode 0328. And joining Phil via Zoom this week, it's me, Michael Ohijuru. Joining Phil and revealing our top story is going to be the endless climate of hate and vitriol on social media. In, we see it in the wake of the murder of the Essex MP David Ames. Do we need to, to examine a wider culture of extremism? Five in the eye. Our second story this week, well, that's the news that the Rolling Stones are no longer performing their famous track, Brown Sugar, as its controversial lyric is deemed unacceptable for audiences in 2021. For our third story, we look at gentrification, as the traditional jewellery quarter in Birmingham comes under pressure from developers. Should we worry about what's happening to our cities? Feeling hungry? Well, for story number four, we take a trip to the Nuzeret restaurant where the Turkish celebrity Salt Bay presides over meals that can cost up to a staggering £37,000. And finally, to complete the show, we talk number plates. If you're ever caught in a bus lane and they send you a picture to prove it was your vehicle, make sure there's a actually a car in the photo. A couple were recently shocked to see that their plate had been confused with a slogan on a pedestrian's t-shirt. Perhaps the pedestrian was doing 40 in a 30 mile an hour zone. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. Okay, we're going to kick off this week with Amos, the Tory MP that was murdered in his constituency surgery in South and West. Circumstances surrounding this are going to be subject to, you know, continuing criminal investigation. There's going to be a court case and so on. So we're not going to get into the detail of that today, but we did want to talk about the wider culture in our society of how we do politics and how we talk about politics and and, and major issues, particularly on social media, where there is a tendency for everything to be incredibly polarised, very vitriolic people being quite intimidated at times on you know a whole range of issues um and this climate cannot be healthy it's one that perhaps for people who maybe have some mental instability for people who have been uh, possibly um, going down the road towards extremist ideologies maybe the wider culture is just not Um, conducive to bringing them back from the brink, Michael, that we all have a responsibility for the way in which we speak and conduct ourselves. What do you feel? Definitely definitely we do, because what we've done, Phil, we live in a binary world, black and white, them and us. We've lost the old old concept of nuance. You know, those differences, those subtle differences that, that that, that make us who we are. We're not all casting stone, you know, the definitive person in terms of the beliefs, understandings. We're mixed we're dynamic in terms of who we are as, as human beings. So to say, for instance, let, 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 let's take climate change or let's take immigration. These are, or Brexit. You know, you're either for them or against, but it's much more complex than that. These are quite complex arguments. You know, immigration, should we have it? No, no immigration. No, it's not as, not as easy as that because there's so many ways we, we do need it. It needs to be managed and understood. The similarly with Brexit, you know, Brexit is bad, terrible, move on. 
No, it's it, yes. There's many of us thinking, but there are obvious. There are some benefits. Let's ex- understand and explore them. But this, in, we seem to have the inability to understand the other's argument. There could be some good in it. There's no good in it, in the other's argument. And it's so for me, I find it. It's beyond disrespectful, Phil. You know, it's it's worrying. You know, when people can. Is part, you know, part of the problem. Part part of the problem is surely built into a lot of these platforms themselves. I mean, when you look at Twitter, which you know I would argue is possibly the most poisonous of these uh, these environments, you're given a 280 characters in which to state an opinion about something, and it's almost like the very nature of the platform is driving you to. Avoid nuance, isn't it? It's it's virtually impossible to no, give that sensible nuanced perspective. So what's interesting is you, you see Twitter as the, as the most vitriolic, but then equally they argue that Instagram for young, typically young girls, is is poisonous, almost suicidal for many in the way they where they've been trolled and attacked through through pictures of them or they've been abused. But on Instagram, to the point, is it, and, and sadly, in some instances, suicide. So for me, film, and I'm, I'm going to be very blunt here. They got to, The government needs to take control. What do we take it? Take control. You need to be verified. Your name, age, and address. How you do it? People talk about getting a third party involved. I mean, it's one way, but we cannot go on with hiding this this, this anonymity. It's, it's anonymity. Yeah, no, I tend I tend to agree with you. I tend to agree with you on the anonymity. I mean, uh, the counter arguments that I see online would be, for instance, you're someone perhaps who's been a victim of domestic violence. You want to conceal your identity. You don't want it to be revealed. There was a woman who posted the other day who was saying that. Um, she keeps uh, uh, her identity under wraps because she's posted um, commentary about the Chinese government, but she hopes to return to Hong Kong. I mean, what do you feel about people in those kind of positions, Michael? Well, look, look, I feel for them. I feel for them. But in the past, these people were able to make themselves known. They found ways to make themselves known. So maybe social media isn't the way you should do it. There's other ways. If you feel that passionate about it, then use other ways. We're just coming back to social media now and this trusted third party, this trusted third party where you, you, you put your name there and they, they are the gatekeepers. They're the gatekeepers. And that to me seems to be the way forward. And you're going to, you know, I take on board, in fact, there's whistleblowers and there's abuse women. Well, I would argue there's, they will find ways. There are other ways they can reach out to people, to reach out to people who can help them, where they can make a difference. But it, it, we, we've got to stop this, this anonymous ombu- uh, abuse online where, where you can say something and feel completely free to say what you like and let the world see it. Because I believe in freedom of speech, no question. But I don't believe freedom of distribution, the right that everyone should hear what you say. I'm sorry. No. Look, even the, the President of the United States, they drew him back because he said too much. Maybe that, that, that that's the kind of, I was going to say, Trump is an example. You know, he is. He's taken off and now he's completely impotent in, in his, uh, in the vial, in his ability to spread vial, bile. So we need, we need to do something and not talk about it, Phil. We need to act. Government needs to act. Legislation now. 
you know, you could argue there's a bigger issues. I mean, there was a BBC report in the last week where um, an investigator had posed as um, online under under a pseudonym as someone who was interested maybe in things like uh, conspiracy theories and misogynistic kind of commentary. And the more that she liked and looked at this kind of material, the more it got served up by the algorithm. Um, and so these, you know, th- these algorithms are looking at the kind of things that people already have a, a certain interest in, and they start to magnify them. And it's almost, um, dare I suggest, kind of grooming by algorithm. Is there anything governments can do about that? Because it's a very addictive technology, isn't it? Well, we can find the source. We can find the source. And as, as Colin Powell said, if you want to destroy a train of ants, you kill the head ones, the ones leading so you find the source and eliminate it. As simple as that. I'm quite binary on this, Phil. There's no nuance in, my, in what I'm saying here. These people need to be identified and cut off. We don't, we don't, we don't need their misinformation, their hatred, their bile spread easily around the net. Look at the consequences, both for our children, for our, for our MPs, and dare I say, for our own well-being. Five in the eye. Story number two is about the Rolling Stones. They're going to drop brown sugar from the U.S. tour set playlist. When I saw it, I didn't think much about it when I first saw it. Then I thought, brown sugar. And I'd never listened to the lyrics. I'd never really thought about them. But they are quite, they're quite sexist, racist. And they're looking back. You know, about and the, way, the way they treat women, it's just not right. And I was, to be honest, I was shocked. You know, I, mean, I know that's the most overused word here on, on Five in the Eye. But genuinely, I was shocked by, by, by the lyrics where they talk about a, a mother was a, was a tenshaw queen. You know, and the people being sold in the marketplace. People being whipped. And kind of things going on with 16-year-olds. No, so I, I thought I'd have to talk to Abu about this, my partner, because I'd not noticed what the, these lyrics, you know, even I've danced to them, hung to them. Abu, what, 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 what's your feeling about them? I, did, did you notice these words? Did they mean anything to you? I'm completely there with you, Michael. I did not notice those lyrics. And as a young, as a young black sugar queen, I thought that bit was beautiful. And I dance around and go, brown sugar. Couldn't wait for it, but thinking about it now, how how come it's taken so long? How come they've taken so long to actually acknowledge it? I'm, I'm going to use the, one of the, on the right wing word. We've become woke. We've become sensitive now, and that's not appropriate. And for me, it was particularly you know the 16 year old, the things he was I going to do young, with it. Young people today will will notice. And uh, and perhaps you know back then we were, I was just happy to have something saying brown anything, um, but these days young people have got more opportunity, and uh, I'm grateful for that. So uh, thank you, Rolling Stones. About bloody time. Yeah, I mean I think the the, the lyric here is extraordinary when you when you look at this, and I mean I, just like a lot of other people, a lot of commentary on social media about this. Actually, we'd never actually read the lyric and uh, and thought about it. Um, and when you do, you realise kind of quite how 
unacceptable it seems in in the context of 2021. But then part of me says, well, it would have been unacceptable if we thought about this in 2011 or we thought about it in 2001 probably if we thought about it in 1991 we would and so there's something a little bit weird about when and where we decide in time that something is no longer right uh, is it just that it's pure coincidence circumstance that brings it to our attention well for me it, it, for me it's the violence the violence we've seen is kind of the trauma of blackness that you see on, on Netflix. Because Ebba and I have watched a couple of things and stopped watching, haven't we? Because yeah. it's just Absolutely. too violent. Gratuitous. And we, we just can't cope with it at all. And you, I, I suspect that, that the reason um, we frequently don't notice these things is that we're, we're, we're all getting on with lives and we're, we're all waking up to the humanity within the world and um, the injustices and the, and the sheer violence. And while there is gratuitous stuff on, on, on film, um, Michael and I just can't cope with it. Young people are looking at this stuff all the time, but maybe that's one of the reasons that they are awake. Who knows? They've been sensitized by the brutality they see, you know, and, and they're aware of it now. And maybe this is just a bit too far for them. But, you know, I, I think, oh, yeah. uh, you know, there is that kind of perennial argument, though, that we we have to kind of address, which is, um, you know, that they brown sugar was, as you, you, you guys were saying, was something that it was a track that you grew up with, that you danced to, uh, that you knew. Um, we're looking now at it in a different light. But to what extent should we say now, well, Brown sugar is just a track that no one wants to hear again. In the same way that you 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 won't hear you know Gary Glitter or Rolf Harris on the on the radio because, in the words of the uh, of of the right wing commentators, perhaps they've been cancelled. Is it is it a question? Is it a question now that um, the the music that went with these lyrics, even though people enjoyed it and danced to it, is now kind of never to be heard again? And is that is that right? Yes, I think <laughs> it is right. And it's a very good question, Phil, because in retrospect, we can look back and make these judgments. And perhaps, you know, it's something that we need to, to, to acknowledge. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I'm happy to rewrite the lyrics, by the way, because the tune is cool. And so is Brown Sugar. I'm still happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but if you look, look at the recent case of R. Kelly, 20 years there were rumours about R. Kelly. They were complaining and making observations about what he was doing. It took 20 years for him to, to be brought down to reality. For me, I think there's a, there's a subtext here in terms of black girls, brown girls, they're not as valued. They don't seem to be as valued as, 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 white, as white girls. We never what, have been. Look, look at know. that line he says. At, 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 what was it? All her boyfriends were sweet 16. I'm no schoolboy but I know what I like. You should have heard them just around midnight. You know, that, that, that's paedophilia there. That's just, you know, in the same box as um, Saville and all the rest of the, the, rest of the, 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 the R. Kelly's. And it's, it's important that we, we should stop this and kind of, somebody, let me turn it around, respect black women, respect brown women. I think it's about time that we had a voice that enabled us to actually 
feel that we were being respected and that we were, we were being acknowledged because young girls today are still having issues. They're still having issues with boys. They're still having issues with being raped, with being yeah. groped at school. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these are, you're right, we're, black women, black girls have not been valued and still are not valued to a greater extent. So I'm grateful that, you know, that, that, that this is off the scene and hope it's never back on. Exactly. And for me, it's a mark, it'd be a mark of respect, a mark of respect that they, 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 they actually withdrew it. And just, just I want to finish on, on, a, on a controversial point here. Blackbirds by, by the Beatles, completely opposite. It was a response to how some black girls had been treated. And this was Paul recognizing the, uh, the, the racism that was going on and acknowledging them that they should be free. Whereas the Stones, completely opposite, completely opposite. So, uh, I, you know, I, I, thank you for coming on at such short notice, Ebu. But I thought you, we, had, we, had to, we had to have a, someone who's, who was aware of this or could be made aware of it. So, so thank you. You're welcome. Five in the eye. Story number three this week is about the jewellery quarter in Birmingham. There was uh, an article in The Guardian um, it, which focused on some of the traditional manufacturers that worked in that uh, part of Britain's second city. Um, historically, it's employed around 4,000 people in 600 different, becoming a popular place to live. Rents are rising for the uh, for the guys that run these um, the, these businesses, and they're under pressure from developers who are coming along and saying, "Look, you you really want to sell up, and here's a wad of cash. Uh, will you do it?" Um, obviously, the pressure to 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 develop to create new housing to something perhaps quite valuable, which is part of the the culture, heritage, your thoughts on this story? Well, you know, they've got to protect that that manufacturing base because that goes back to the heart of Britain, who we are, making things, a manufacturing country. And if we if we destroy these these places, like, like what they're doing in Savile Row, we've got the tailors, they're under pressure now. And, and I think what they're trying to do here, and, and I commend them, the ground floor is going to be maintained as a jewellery... Um, as, as, as a jewelry workshop, but the upper floors can become accommodation. And the plus side to it, Phil, is these places at night, these or like the industrial sites, are like ghost towns, and it, it makes them twenty four, you know, twenty four seven living. So no, I, I think it's it's a good thing that the that they're opening up because it, it makes it makes it more more lively. But at the same time, we've got to protect the core. What it's about, we lose we lose a, a, this a, a bit of who we are. In terms of, uh, it's not just England. Uh, it's British jewelry. It's, it's um, Birmingham jewelry. It's part of their identity. So no, I, I would I would move to keep them and make them protected buildings, make them listed buildings. Yeah, but, yeah okay. I mean the, the the buildings is the buildings are one thing, but you know the the culture and the industry that goes with them. That's perhaps another thing, isn't it? I mean, if we went to your home city of Liverpool and you walked through 
through Liverpool one and you walk through the 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 docks and all all of that. I mean, that is a world unrecognizable, isn't it, from your childhood in Liverpool? The world has moved on, um, and a lot of what used to be there just isn't there anymore. Isn't that just the tide of history, Michael? Well, you're talking about retail. The retail environment has changed, and you're right. And I, when I was looking at this, they made the point that um, the silver buckle manufacturers lost out once people started using lasers. And, and, this, and the same with the, uh, the, the, nib made, the, the nib manufacturers in Birmingham Quarter for making ink pen nibs. They lost out with the biro, but they adapted. There's still some, some, some jewelry as a, fashion, as a fashion item that changes. They move with the times, they reflect the times. So there will always be, things will always change in terms of uh, uh, jewelry as, as a fashion item. But, but the skills that make them need to be kept together and protected. These skills are important to be, you have to think back in the day, and I'm thinking of the merino glass or tapestry, tapestries were made in, these were made in special places and they were protected by those communities. To the point those skills weren't allowed to go out in terms of people were killed if they tried to take the skills and export these skills. So it's great that we, we, we should value the skills that these people have, keep them together. Yes, I'm not, I'm not saying we should think we should subsidize buckle making or we should get, get subsidized <laughs> nib making. But the skills that make buckles, the skills that make nibs, we've got to protect them, no question, because they're special. Five in the eye. Story number four this week. <laughs> you know, it's about the Nusret, the, the restaurant in London, the new Turkish restaurant run by the, the Turkish celebrity, Sol Bey, where we got thousand pound steaks. And there was, there was a couple of stories at the start of the, week, at the start of the month where people were, were saying, were, they were talking about the fact you can, you can buy a steak covered in gold for a thousand pounds. End of the month, guess what? Someone's a bit upset. Upset because they got a bill for a staggering thirty-seven thousand pounds. So let me tell you, Phil, no sympathy. That wasn't you, was it, Michael? No, no that, that wasn't you. No sympathy here, Phil. If you go to a restaurant where the steaks are a grand, you know, do we do a drinking bottles of wine for nine grand? You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so no sympathy. You get. I mean, I, I, I. I... I know that you you always set set a cap at five grand a bottle, don't you? You'd never go beyond that, so you'd be quite shocked if you went. Listen, to this mate, I'm the housewife, me. I'm the housewife. That's it. But the idea they had three or four of these bottles, and, and when you look at the bill, the steak was only eight hundred and fifty. It was only eight hundred and fifty. This guy, this guy, Salt Bay. I mean, he he he's a character, isn't he? I mean, he, the way the way you see him pose in his Instagram pictures, and the the stuff you see in the press of him, you know, uh, you know, cascading the salt onto the on, onto the stakes. It's all showmanship, isn't it? It's like it's almost like a circus performance or something. The guy the guy's involved in here, rather than traditional cuisine but you'd have to you'd, you'd need your head examined to pay this kind of money no 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 f- f- for a meal might. wouldn't you you might but there's a thing called veblen objects this is veblen by an, an economist who gave us the um conspicuous consumption he was an economist i think in the 30s or 40s in america and he talks about weblen objects have their value in their value the more expensive they are the more valuable they are and art the art world is full of this you know, there was recent, um, mm-hmm. there was a recent work by Leonardo da Vinci, we went for 450 million, almost half a billion dollars 
Mm. And you were out, outbid on. You were outbid on that one, weren't you, Michael? <laughs> but that, and that that took its value from its value, even though it's quite it's, it's authenticity is now suspect. It's now being questioned. But it's that value of owning this these things. So I guess these people go to this restaurant to say, "Well, I can do it. I can have a thousand pound steak covered in gold." All I can say to you is, um, where is that gold going? And um, <laughs> have you had a look in your toilet recently? So no, Phil, I, I have to smile at Revlon objects and people who buy them for what they are. Do you think people ri- pe- people just go there, presumably, if you're incredibly rich, I mean, and you'd have to be to, to, to stand the prices there. It's almost like you're there for show, just to say you've been... Uh, I was there, um, the selfies and so on. Phil, I put it to you. Some people would go there anyway, just with, even if they couldn't afford to, but to say they've done it, the experience, mm. the experience of, of, the, of the indulgence, because I'm sure the service is just fantastic. And it is a very memorable experience. You know, but, but I have to say, when you, get, when you complain at the size of the bill, nah, I, let me be up front, Phil. This, this is probably a publicity stunt. This is probably a publicity stunt, you know, because the, the people who spend that kind of money don't need don't need publicity. They're not going to complain. They move on, done it. They probably could they could probably have a bill four or five times that. No, this is this is pure publicity. And I'm not going next week with you, Phil. Not at all. I've got standards. Five in the eye. Story number five this week. We're going to talk about number plates because there was a couple um, who were shocked when they received one of those penalty notices uh, through the post. You know, when uh, uh, you've been caught speeding or in their case, apparently driving in a bus lane in Bath. This is David and Paula Knight. They were a bit surprised they'd been caught in this bus lane in Bath because they live in Dorking. Uh, in Surrey, which is about 120 miles away, and they didn't recall ever having uh, driven through Bath. Um, and it turned out that what the um, the artificial intelligence connected to the camera believed was their number plate was actually a slogan on a T-shirt of someone passing by in the street. And when they looked at the picture of the supposed incident of them in the bus lane, there was this lady with a T-shirt that had that bore some vague re- resemblance to the number plate of their car um quite quite shocking really michael that actually people could be issued with fines on the basis of this uh, of, of, of this kind of dubious technology that can't distinguish between a number plate and a t-shirt i love this i love it because it's all about quality control because if anyone before they sent that fine out would have looked at it and said this is funny a woman in a t-shirt and we're sending a speeding fine. Something's not right. The system is so automatic. And that's what's so I find so horrible about speeding fines. You know, it, it's just it's automatic. There's no human intervention whatsoever. There's no, well, did he really go that fast? Is that you know, you know, consideration it just the system takes, you know, consumes you. So and it, this this is just this is a one in the eye for them. So Go big, you know, big tick for the the people who didn't pay it and complained and expose shock horror probe. That's what we need because you know we did this story a couple of years ago on Five in the Eye, but you can buy T-shirts with number plates on to fool these uh these number plate recognition systems. 
And I, I checked up, this company's still alive. I'm telling you, maybe we'll put the name on the website and we all should get these and walk up and down the high street to, to fool these devices. Or maybe in your case, Phil, you should run. Because you're at a 40 mile an hour, man, aren't you? In a 30 mile an hour zone, aren't you? Actually, put on your bike. Your bike. <laughs> so, no, I'm, I'm sorry, Phil. This, is, this made me smile because it's, it's all about quality control with these automated systems. No one thought to look. Is that a car? Five in the eye. Well, that's it for episode 0328 of Five in the Eye. I'm off to collect my personalized number plate. Five ITE. Can you imagine that, Phil? How much would that cost? We hope you probably probably the same same kind of amount as a steak at Salt Bay's. Uh, we, we hope you've enjoyed the show, and will join us next time for zero three two nine. You can check out the stories we're considering by visiting our Facebook page during the week. For now, this is Phil Whitford saying adios and arrivederci. And this is me, Michael O'Hara, saying if you have been, thanks for listening. See you in a week. Bye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?